This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Kyle Gonzalez. And I'm Barbara Ramirez. We want to remind you that this program broadcasts from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. One of our core values at Generation Justice is youth empowerment. We know that youth play an important role in creating change, and we're seeing this all around the globe. And yet, so often youth are the last ones to be listened to when it comes to critical societal issues. That is why this evening, we have produced a very special program with all youth voices from our GJ cohort. We invite you to stay tuned to listen to some empowering youth voices. We will bring you commentaries from 14-year-old Saviana Moya, 15-year-old Emilio Bovalet, 17-year-old Jacqueline Wing, 18-year-old Sunandita Santanam, 14-year-old Darmace Dominguez, 18-year-old Madumita Santanam, and 18-year-old Lily Lukau. We are so excited to share each of their thoughts, analysis, and hopes with you tonight. Starting with 14-year-old Saviana Moya, who shares how she is processing current events as a youth of color. My name is Saviana Moya. I'm 13 years old and go to Albuquerque Academy. Today, I wanted to talk about the way society sees youth of color, how youth of color are looked at as harmful. The idea that youth of color aren't as smart or don't take interest in school or all they want to do is drugs, whereas their white counterparts aren't seen that way. This shouldn't be surprising because of the very deep-rooted racism in the U.S., but it still hurts to see. I wanted to tell the stories of Makai Bryant, 16, and Adam Toledo, 13, who were both shot and killed by the police. On April 20th, 2021, in Columbus, Ohio, Makaya Bryant was in an altercation with two other girls when the police were called. Officer Nicholas Reardon claimed she was holding a knife, but other sources say the knife was on the floor and far from her. She was fatally shot with four bullets in the torso. On March 29th, 2021, in Chicago, Illinois, Adam Toledo was being chased by officers when they stopped at a dead end. The officers approached him and allegedly he tossed a handgun and put his hands up. As his hands were up, officer Eric Stillman fired his gun. Adam Toledo died due to the gunshots. These stories are examples of adultification. What is adultification? Adultification is the racial bias that young people of color are treated more mature or more adult than they are. This is often seen with black girls. In news stories and headlines, Makaya was referred to as a woman instead of a teenage girl. That is a prime example of adultification in black girls. In Makaya's case, you could argue that she was treated like an adult when she was only 16. In both of these cases, we see the police treating young people of color more mature than they are. In contrast, Kyle Rittenhouse, then a 17-year-old white male, shot and killed two people and wounded one other. He was not injured by the police. These stories make me frustrated, scared, livid, somber, and much more. I can't believe that this happens, but at the same time, I'm not surprised. I don't think anyone is surprised, but I think everyone should be enraged by these stories. We need to protect our youth of color. We need to fight for our youth of color. We need to help our youth of color thrive. We need to hold murderers accountable, and we need to hold the justice system accountable. 
To take action, you can educate yourself to change your own bias towards youth of color and talk about this problem with your peers. For Generation Justice, I am Saviana Moya. Thank you so much for raising awareness on this important topic, Saviana. There is so much we can all do to help youth of color thrive, and your call to action is very powerful. Saviana chose Kendrick Lamar's All Right to share with you. This is a futuristic song that states that things will eventually get better, regardless of the current struggles. And when I wake up, I recognize you looking at me for the pay cut. Bahamas stop me looking at you from the face down. One Mac 11 even boom with the face down. Emilio Bobale, who is 15, brings us his own impactful reflection on police brutality, violence in communities of color, and some things we can do to address it. My name is Emilio Bovale. I'm 15 years old. I want to talk about the mass suppression of Black people in our country. On April 11th, 2021, a young man by the name of Dante Wright was fatally shot in his car over a traffic violation. Dante Wright was 20 years old, a father to a two-year-old son, and another victim to what seems to be the endless ongoing attack on Black lives at the hands of the law. According to the website Statista, in the first four months of 2021, 292 civilians have been shot by the police and 62 were black. Of those 292 people, 38 were Hispanic. In 2020, there was 1,021 fatal police shootings. And in 2019, there were 999 fatal police shootings. The rate of fatal police shootings were higher for black people than any other ethnicity at 36 deadly shootings per million of the population as of April, 2021. Why are BIPOC being killed at this alarming rate? Americans who are not directly affected by the killing of black people like to live in comfort, turning a blind eye to what's happening in our country. We Americans with light skin privilege need to fight for equity and unity for diversity and freedom. Those ideals make America. We need to protect each other and learn to be able to move forward to a better future. There are many ways we can help. One way to show your resilience and demand justice is peacefully protesting. Also educating yourself on current situations and learning and embracing black culture. Another way is to vote for officials that are willing to take action to help prevent these tragedies. If you ever come across a police situation that seems to be escalated, be sure to record it. Whenever you have a chance, help educate others and spread awareness to friends and family who lack the knowledge of the situation that our country is in. To learn more about the movement for black lives, visit blacklivesmatter.com. With Generation Justice, I'm Emilio Bovale. Emilio, thank you for your heartfelt words and for reminding us of some things that we can do to stand for justice. Emilio chose Black Lives Matter by Dax to help us feel more inspired about this. I 
Yeah, this a revolution in our time. Everybody's fighting change coming. Yes, that's why it's an acronym for riot. Everybody has a voice. Don't you dare stay silent. If you say nothing, you are an accessory to violence. Let these words for the tears of our people that are crying. We can bring back hope, but not the people that are dying. It's what happens when the people you repress ask for change in the country that they built, but you've ignored and denied. Now, 17-year-old Jacqueline Wynn talks about violence targeting Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Bad days. Everyone has them. I mean, who doesn't? Lots of people have different ways they deal with them according to what works for them. It could be journaling or listening to some good stand-up comedy. Maybe you like making up random, unrealistic, romantic scenarios in your head. Not saying that I do, but some might. But do you ever consider committing a hate crime? More specifically, one targeting six Asian women and two others in a spa shooting? No, me either. Ever since the start of this pandemic, there has been a rise in Asian American Pacific Islander hate crimes. From this point, I will be referring to the community as AAPI. Since March of 2020, nearly 3,800 anti-AAPI hate crimes have been reported. That's a 150% spike in violence against the AAPI community, just because the coronavirus first originated in Wuhan, China. Keep in mind, these are just the numbers that were reported in the United States alone. Those cases also do not include the casual day-to-day -day harassment that is endured by individuals. Names from a certain president, such as Chinese virus or the Kung flu, have done a lot more harm than anyone outside the community realizes. These hateful names and generalizations have driven people to act in inhumane ways. People have always been out for Asians, but have used the pandemic as a justification to put their xenophobic actions out onto the community. Fear, ignorance, and prejudice have caused small businesses to be avoided and shut down and led our elderly to be beat up in the streets. Even still, some non-AAPI have the audacity to invalidate these issues by using the model minority myth. This is the mentality that because Asian Americans often have a higher education and get into higher position jobs, that we are not oppressed, not knowing that we grow up with our strict parents' pressure to strive for perfectionism, with a lack of mental health acknowledgement and emotional support. This is just in order to create a stable income and not struggle as much as they did coming into the States. This myth is rooted in white supremacy. It affects people of color today and tries to both separate and invalidate us. Unfortunately, Asian American oppression is real and it's not new. Back in the 1800s, during the gold rush in California, many Chinese farmers immigrated to the US in hopes of finding jobs and a new life. They were instead met with violence, heavy taxation and murder. This is how the phrase Asian stealing American jobs came from. And a similar case to what's happening currently, the outbreak of the bubonic plague in San Francisco in 1900, when although the disease was carried from Australia, the first person to catch it was of Chinese descent, again, pointing the finger at the whole community. It seems similar to what's going on now. Hmm. I think not. But what is the solution? First, we acknowledge that it does exist and call it out. Growing up, I was taught that if anyone made fun of me to keep a low profile, keep things low key and not stir up trouble. The issue with this mentality is that it's such a temporary solution. Now it has come to bite us back. 
and has allowed our persecutors to attack their loved ones. Racism and hate toward the AAPI community has become casual and normalized. We should all come together as a whole and rise up to this issue as a community. I realize that keeping my head low has cost me the lives of my elders. So much of the first and second generation of the AAPI Americans struggle with their identity, feeling like in order to fit in with our white friends, we had to tone it down, but not too much, or we would be losing our culture, too whitewashed and not cultured enough. This is why the elders are so important. They pass on stories, tradition, and wisdom onto us, and losing them is forgetting our identity. They are the most direct sources of our tradition. Lastly, to those outside the community, be supportive to those who you know that are Asian Americans or Pacific Islanders during these difficult times. For Generation Justice, I'm Jacqueline Nguyen. Thank you so much, Jackie. We are so sorry for this experience. And yes, losing the elderly is like losing gold. Jacqueline's piece is accompanied by the song Us from Jessica Sanchez. This new song calls for unity against AAPI hate. Try to numb the pain the only way could ever change Still We're running every day Wanna know Why we're afraid Can we We hope you're enjoying this special edition of Generation Justice here on 89.9 KUNM-FM. This evening, we listen to radio commentaries presented by GJ's youth leaders. We now bring you 18-year-old Sunandita Santanam's commentary about violence against women. Sarah Everard, like so many of us, was a woman. She was a woman walking home. Everard was found dead on March 10th, 2021. She was kidnapped and brutally murdered by Metropolitan Police Constable and Firearms Officer Wayne Cousins. Everard was only 33 years old. She was a marketing executive, a helper, a fighter, a lover, a daughter, a sibling, a niece, a granddaughter, and a best friend. Unfortunately, Sarah's story and death shed a light on the ugly collective experience of women throughout the world. Why did Sarah have to die? An article by The Atlantic detailed that Sarah went home at a reasonable hour and walked through well-lit streets. Even with Sarah doing all the right things, her life was brutally taken. As I sat down to write this, I wasn't sure what to say. I didn't know what to write that could truly sum up the multitude of emotions racing through my mind. Safety is a human right. Safety should be a human right, yet millions of women alike hold their keys between their fingers like the claws of a tiger and shuffle to their cars in the dark of the night to avoid interacting with a man. Each and every day, women are objectified. They are shamed for the way they act, dress, talk, and carry themselves. They are shamed for existing. They are raped, sexually assaulted in their homes, their workplaces, on the streets. Women are beaten and murdered even by their family members. There is no doing everything right. Many women are killed regardless if they do everything right. 
Women are exploited, raped, and killed no matter what they wear or what they say. Even if a woman stays submissive, quiet, wears modest clothes, conforms to society, or lacks confidence, she could be killed too. If we are not dead, we suffer the painful consequences of the patriarchy, the misogynistic power that holds us back. Sarah's horrid death reveals the resentment, the pain, the anguish, and the harsh truth of what 97% of women experience on a daily basis. I feel the painful presence of misogyny sitting on my shoulders like a weight I can't remove. The struggle of women does not go away. It is everlasting, generational, engraved in our society. Like Sarah, women are going to die in the hands of men that can't take no for an answer. Why is it a woman's job to suppress the sexual, physical, violent urges of men around them? It shouldn't be, but it is. Nothing changes. Women plead, but violence does not stop. Women walk on those sharp eggshells and feel them poke through their raw flesh in order to please men. I wish I could say that my words would stop the horrors that we constantly experience, but I can't guarantee that. As a woman myself, I see you, I hear you, I cry with you, and I smile with you. I see your accomplishments and I hear your struggles. To the men listening to this, now knowing and identifying our daily struggles, I hope, just hope, that you treat the women in your life with dignity, respect, kindness, and care, just knowing a sliver of their daily experiences. With Generation Justice, I'm Sunandita Santanam. Thank you, Sunandita, for your passion and insight and for reminding us women that we are not alone. Sunny wanted to share this music piece with you, Palibalu Padrava Takam by Sayonara Philip. The very creative 13-year-old, Dar Mays Dominguez, shares a poem with us about something that young females experience in schools. Take a listen. This is Dar. I'm 14. Imagine leaving the house, shoulders back, head held high, feeling confident, rocking the outfit that makes you feel strong. Imagine you reach the doors of school for the first time you aren't afraid of feeling hideous or feeling alone. Imagine sitting down, back straight, feeling ready to face the day. Imagine feeling the stares of the other students, the eyes that travel up and down your body, the dirty comments of the boys nearest to you. Imagine your name being called over the chatter of the class. Imagine the sound of your classmates going silent, the feeling as your confidence evaporates like smoke. 
the feeling getting up and walking dejectedly toward the door, alone. Imagine reaching the office, shrinking from the condescending glares of the adults in the room while they scrutinize your body, head to toes. Imagine being called into a room where you're told to sit, where you're asked, do you know why you're here? Imagine being told that the pants you wear are too attractive. The shirt you wear shows an inch of cleavage. The curves of your body are too tempting. Imagine being told that how you look and what you wear is not appropriate. That it's your fault. Imagine the questions playing on repeat in your head. The voice asking, it's my fault that the clothes I wear are more strictly regulated than guns in America. It's my fault the boys see me only as being beautiful for my body. It's my fault. One thing you don't have to imagine. This happens every day. This is not okay. This is not what this country should stand for. Dart. Thank you so much for sharing your experience through this wonderful poem. As a young woman, I remember seeing girls dress coded all the time when I was in high school. This reality is unjust and frustrating. Here's a song selection from Dart to accompany her powerful poem, Alicia Cara's Scars to Your Beautiful. She just wants to be beautiful, she goes unnoticed, she knows. No limits, she craves Attention, she praises An image, she prays to be Sculpted by the sculptor Oh, she don't see The light that's shining Deeper than the eyes can find it Maybe we're made of blind So she tries to cover up her pain 18-year-old Madumita Santana explores the importance of taking care of ourselves individually and collectively, from her experience as a first-generation Indian American. Hello, my name is Madhumita Santanam. I was born and brought up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, to an Indian family. My parents immigrated to the United States from India in the 90s. At a very young age, my parents made sure that they taught my sisters and I about our Indian culture. I learned about the food, music, traditions, and so much more. When I was younger, my knowledge about my culture was very surface level. My knowledge was based on what I had been exposed to growing up. But as I grew older, I started questioning, why do the people in my culture act the way they do? I started thinking about the idea of individual mental health, which seems to be so uncommon in my culture. To start, Medical News Today defines mental health as a state of well-being in which an individual realizes his or her own abilities. In my culture, individual mental health tends to not be approached, largely because India, in many ways, is a collectivist society. Very Well Mind defines a collectivist society as a culture that emphasizes the needs and goals of the group as a whole over the needs and desires of each individual. I commonly see this in my own relatives whenever I visit. There have been a couple of deaths in the family these past five years. 
Obviously, when an individual loses someone, they grieve, they take time to themselves and reflect on the events in their own life. However, for my family, I noticed that nobody grieved alone. None of them reflected by themselves. In fact, there seemed to be no concept of an individual addressing their own mental health. My family all came and grieved together and supported each other. As another example, when my father was upset and was going through a tough time, he would always tell me that he had his family to help him cope. He never felt the need to obtain any individual help because he always had his family by his side. In this way, he had a collectivist mindset when it came to his own mental health. While I provided some positive examples of having a collectivist rather than an individualistic mindset, when it comes to mental health, caring for yourself individually can be beneficial in many ways. Taking accountability of your own emotions, owning the way you feel, and knowing how to help yourself are all great things. It allows you to be your own person and to have freedom. I realized that it is very important to be independent emotionally, physically, and mentally because you never know when you're gonna be on your own. From what I've noticed, having a collectivist mindset when it comes to mental health can be suffocating in many ways, especially when you wanna seek help from the outside, such as from a peer, doctor, or therapist. You could risk being shunned by relatives or you may be even seen as betraying the family. I think it's interesting to see why each culture acts the way that they do. Since my family moved to the United States, they feel the need to preserve their culture and within that, this idea of collectivism. I think that having a collectivist mindset when it comes to mental health is very important and can provide comfort and support. But I also think that it's necessary to take care of yourself and be independent. Currently, I'm attempting to incorporate individual mental health and collective mental health into my life. I wanna have the support of my family but I want that independence of caring for my own self. With Generation Justice, I'm Madhumita Santanam. Thank you so much for your insight, Madhu. I learned more about collectivistic cultures and new ways to approach mental health and wellness. Madhu selected this next song because it reflects her culture in many ways and it gives her peace and relaxation. Here is A.R. Raman's Nila Kaigiratu by Kartik Ayer and Ramprasad Sundar. Lily Lukau shares her commentary about an important life transition as a young person graduating from high school. My name is Lily Lukau, and I am a graduating high school senior. I have lived in Albuquerque all of my life. It is my home, and I've always felt a deep sense of safety and community in New Mexico. I have been attending my school, Conwell Classical, since sixth grade, and that has allowed me to feel a deep sense of belonging. My whole life, I have been surrounded by comfort. Now I'm entering a new stage, college. I'm not just moving out. I'm moving all the way to St. Louis. 
This commentary brings up all of the emotions I have either been wrestling with or just trying to ignore around going to Missouri in the fall. It's confusing and contradictory and real. Let's start with my most obvious emotion, fear. Fear of change, fear of loneliness, and fear of sadness. All of these are natural products of independence, but at this moment, they also reflect a deeper set of fears that I've carried in every stage of my life. This isn't just because of college, but college is really bringing these foundational fears to the surface for me. When you are surrounded by the usual comforts of your whole life, these fears can stay hidden. It takes a new environment and new people for that comfort to go away and for the fear to be revealed. As scary as this feels, it gives me an opportunity to produce new comforts and meet new people. This new environment will allow me to face my own fears, to question who I am, to ask what I want to be surrounded by, and appreciate the movement I've made. Everything I do is going to be through me. Doing it all alone will bring me courage and confidence in my own abilities. That leads me to my next emotion, excitement. I am so excited to learn more about myself and see my own strengths exposed. I will be scared and lonely, but I know for certain I will also make friends laugh and feel joy. Identifying my fears and addressing the scary thoughts that come to mind will bring me a sense of safety, understanding, and good. Repression, on the other hand, leads to the same expulsion of fears, but in a negative ball of sadness, stress, and honestly, sometimes tears. It's a lot. No, it's too much to handle all at once. I am protecting myself by identifying my fears. When you don't address your fears, they morph and become bigger than they ever should. They become a deep darkness. That's what happened to me when I repressed my fears about college. Even when I thought about school for just a moment, I got that deep, awful feeling in my stomach, stress and fear. Rather than allowing myself the full range of emotions that come with change, whether it be sadness, pride, fear, or excitement, I only allowed myself to feel unresolved and afraid. In my first draft of this commentary, I realized there was a tone that I had it all figured out and everyone just needs to acknowledge their emotions like I did. I really wanna make it clear that after all of this, I still don't understand my emotions or honestly have a grip on them. Even after this time and work, I don't think I will be able to fully understand. And that's because there is so much unknown about this upcoming moment in my life because of what will no longer be and because this simply is a lot to tackle and process. Looking at and allowing your emotions helps, but it isn't perfect and it cannot be the sole thing you do to help yourself process change in your life. Emotions are complicated and helpful and scary and that is what makes them so important. (sighs) Mom, I want to leave a message for you because I think what scares me most about going to college is the fact that I'm gonna be leaving you. And I know I'm not really gonna be leaving you, but we're gonna be separated. And I've never done that before. It makes me really emotional and scared. And I think it just comes from the fact that obviously you're my mom. I've grown up with you. And, you know, like you said the other day, you grew up with me too. I know that it's going to be so wonderful to go off and be in St. Louis and have this experience. 
And I know it's going to be so wonderful for you too, to be a midwife and live wherever it is that you end up going. I know that I'm going to speak with you so much and that our bond will just grow stronger and be affirmed through our separation. I love you so much and thank you for encouraging me and pushing me to be brave and to go on this adventure. Thank you. Lily, thank you so much for sharing such a heartfelt message for your mom to begin to close out our show. We know that she's proud of you and so are we. Lily has selected the song, What Once Was, by the artist, Hers. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this hour of Youth Voices. We encourage you to take time this week to listen to the young people in your lives. We have so much we want to offer to our community. We'd like to thank our brilliant youth for their commentaries. Saviana Moya, Emilio Bovale, Jacqueline Wynn, Sunandita Santanam, Dar Mez Dominguez, Madumita Santanam, and Lily Lucao. Tonight's Hour of Radio was produced by Roberta Rael with production assistance from myself, Barbara Ramirez, and editing support from Roman Garcia. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlists on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation. And of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Use of the Nation by P.O.D. I'm Kyle Gonzalez. And I'm Barbara Ramirez. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Good night.